Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Thank you, Cody, and our worship team. I appreciate those songs particularly today. If you're visiting with us or weren't here last week, um, my name is Dan Truitt. I'm one of the elders here in the church. And the fellow that usually stands here is uh, Justin Wheeler. He's not here today. He won't be here for the next, uh, this week and five more weeks. Uh, every three years, we give Justin, or he receives, or takes, or however you want to say it, a sabbatical, a, a six-week sabbatical. So he's uh, in his 12th year now, so we're very happy. Uh, I mean, we miss him very much, but we're very happy that he has this time off, a time for him to relax, a time for him to for visit family, to travel some, and to not have the, the burden of uh, sermon preparation and other pastoral duties that he has. Um, he and his family left early this morning on a plane for a family vacation to celebrate Caroline's uh, high school graduation. Uh, they'll be in and out. They may be here sometime um, over the next uh, few weeks. Of course, they'll be here for... Uh, vacation Bible school in a couple of weeks, because obviously Lee is our, our director. So I'll be your preacher for today. Uh, the f- next five Sundays, uh, Elder uh, Jeff Solomon will be bringing a message, a series of messages, I think, on, on the selected Psalms. Well, I hope everybody's comfortable today. Uh, I see one guy fanning over there and a lady over here with a blanket around her, so... <clears throat> Scott's concern now is if he's got to adjust the temperature of different places, but obviously I'm, I'm kidding. <clears throat> uh, but comfort is a high priority for us. And usually uh, when we think of comfort, we think of a lack of discomfort. We think of, uh, of a lack of, uh, of uh, things that cause us uh, anxiety or cause us to be uncomfortable. And... And usually it's quite individualized. We could go around the room and say, what, is, what does comfort mean to you? How do you know when you're comfortable? It may be an easy chair, maybe a certain temperature, maybe a good meal of comfort food after a difficult day. Um, but comfort to us usually means something about ourselves. It's individual. And it means the lack of, of affliction or, or discomforting situations. But today we're going to see in the Scriptures that God's comfort in times of affliction is often something very different. Our scripture text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3. Uh, one Bible scholar observes that this text we're about to read is the most eloquent passage on comfort in the entire New Testament. Well, my prayer has been, and it is today in a few minutes it will be as we pray that this passage will not only be eloquent to your mind, but that it may be a comfort to your heart. And you may say, well, I'm not in a time of affliction right now. And that may be so, and and I would be thankful for that, uh, because uh, affliction is part of the the Christian life. Now, let's read the text, and then we will pray together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just verses uh, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us 
in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received from God. Let's pray. Our Father, we are comforted already to know that you have given us your word, and we thank you for the words that we've sung today. We thank you for the reminders of your comfort and care for us. And Lord, I thank you for this word that we've read just now. And thank you for the richness of it and the beauty of it that describes you to us and your care and comfort to us. And I pray particularly for those among us in this room or in other rooms or maybe online that are experiencing a deep affliction at this time that by your word and by your spirit you would comfort them. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this text uh, outlines itself, doesn't it? We're going to see, first of all, uh, some things about this God of all comfort. And then we'll see how he comforts us in our afflictions. And then we'll see how he often uses others as his instruments of comfort in our affliction. Well, look at uh, verse 3 in the first part of verse 4. I'll read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So verse 3 is, a, is Paul's uh, doxology. It's a time of a moment of praise. Blessed be God is a standard Jewish uh, doxology to praise God in the Old Testament, often in the, in the Psalms. But then he begins to describe this God of all comfort. And notice he says two things about him. One... Um, he is a father of compassion. He is a merciful father. Uh, a father that's known for his tender care for his children. This, this characteristic of mercy kind of has two parts to it. One, it means that he is attentive to our needs, to our pitiful state. And because of that attentiveness, his mercy draws him out to take action, to comfort his people. You may remember a, 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 a clear example of that would be in Exodus. It's in Exodus uh, chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read the story to you. After the children of Israel had been enslaved for 430 years under the heavy hand of, of uh, Egypt, um, they began to cry out. And here's what Moses records in Exodus 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And we know the rest of the story. He, he put forward his plan to deliver his people, but it began with, with his uh, mercy and his compassion for his people when they cried out to him. The New Testament Gospels, of course, uh, often speak of the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Paul begins this passage showing us that God's Comfort flows out of a fatherly heart of mercy and compassion for his children. Notice that he says that God is the God of all comfort. 
all comfort. I think that could maybe mean a couple of things. One is that God has a great store, a great storehouse of comfort for his people. In fact, uh, and I imagine this is your experience if you've gone through affliction or are in one now, that God has a great storehouse of comfort to provide for whatever specific affliction that you're enduring. He matches the, his comfort uh, with, uh, with our specific affliction. But also, it means that when he says God is the God of all comfort, it means that all the comfort that God's people receive is from him. He is the source of all comfort. He is the, uh, he is the one that brings the comfort. He's the ultimate provider and author of the comfort that we receive. Now, we're going to see in a few minutes that he often delights to use instruments uh, to deliver his comfort. But let us never forget that, it's, that he is the source of all of, all of our comfort. Well, before we go any further, let's define a couple of words. Uh, one is the word uh, comfort. Um, the, noun, the noun version of this verb or, uh, means um, one called alongside or one called beside another or one, or one called to stand beside another. It sometimes is used of a, of a defense attorney in a court called alongside to defend uh, someone. Uh, it can mean to, uh, uh, to comfort, to console, to counsel, to encourage, to exhort, or to help. Uh, the noun form is used by the Lord Jesus when, in John 14 when he tells of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the ESV, I think, translates it helper, but other versions translate uh, the word uh, that the Holy Spirit is the comforter, he's the advocate, or he's the counselor. So the context determines what that person is called alongside to do. And as you look at our context, I think it's, it's proper that most of the translators that I read, in fact, every translator I read uh, translates the word uh, comfort. And I want you to notice something. I hope this comes up again and again in our lesson today, that inherent in the meaning of this word comfort, remember it means one called alongside, is uh, the, the personal presence of the one doing the comforting. The personal active attention of the God of all comfort in our times of affliction. Well, now the word uh, affliction. Uh, though, well, we, have some, we have some new Greek scholars in the room, I think, don't we? Uh, 30 of them, Mark, maybe we could give them a little test here. Uh, just so you, I'm not trying to impress you with, with my Greek. I don't have enough to do that. But the Greek word is the word flipsis. You just kind of spit it out, flipsis. And I don't know if that's an, what is that, onomatopoeia? I don't know if it sounds like it is, but the word, the word means uh, to press or to crush or to oppress or to squeeze. It's used in the Greek translation of, of the Old Testament of uh, of a uh, army that is surrounding a city, and they go pr closer and closer, pressing in to that city. And not only does it cause pressure on the outside, but the inhabitants of the city experience the pressure on the inside. And that's a really good picture of what this word means. It's it usually begins with pressure from our uh, experiences, from our 
uh, from our circumstances, but it often includes that pressure that comes uh, from the inside. It's interesting to us, particularly as, as, we're, as Justin's preaching through the book of Revelation, that although usually the word is translated affliction, a few times it's translated tribulation. Same word, affliction, tribulation. In fact, I, a few weeks ago, I was maybe it was last week, Justin asked me what was my sermon, and I said it's on comfort in times of tribulation. And he said, oh, that's perfect. He said, because uh, we've been talking about God's people going through times of affliction and tribulation. So he saw this as a, a way that we can see how God comforts his people in tribulation. So an affliction is any situation when life around us uh, presses in on us, when, when life's pathway becomes narrow and restrictive. It's when, as you look ahead, the options uh, become few, or maybe we think we have no options because of the oppressive trouble on the outside. And like those, those citizens of that besieged city, the oppressive trouble on the outside caused distress on the inside. It can cause us grief and depression, distress on the inside. So the applications of this word are endless. I mean, every one of us that have either in an affliction or going through an affliction could, could describe what that means to you as, it, as life is pressing in on you. Uh, it could be an illness uh, or physical distress, a conflict in a relationship uh, at home or at work or at school, maybe a grief, loss of a relationship because of a, a conflict or, uh, or from death or money troubles or issues with your job or whatever it may be, and then the resulting pressure that arises on the inside, anxiety, depression, doubts, and fears. So one last point about affliction. What is the source of our affliction? Well, Jesus said, in the, in the world, you will have affliction. You will have tribulation. So the affliction can come, that pressure can come from the world. Uh, it can come from our other enemies, uh, the devil, or, or, uh, or our own flesh. The apostle Paul, remember, he had a thorn in the flesh, and he said it was a messenger of Satan. So Satan can bring these, um, uh, these afflictions. But the scriptures clearly teach and we must include this in our definition of affliction. The, the scriptures clearly teach that no affliction comes our way apart from the permission of our Lord or by the direction of his providence for us. In other words, our afflictions are not random acts of pressure on our lives, but are under the guidance and control of our sovereign God, allowing and doing what is best for his children. So that's our first point. God is a God of all comfort. He's the ultimate source of, of all comfort. And then as we see here, he's also the ultimate source of all of our afflictions. Now, the second point. Uh, when I began to study this passage, I was real excited about it, and I got the first point done. And then I read the, that my next point would be, well, how does he comfort his people in affliction? And I'd never really thought about that before. Uh, you've had affliction, so you may have some experience, but what is the essence of his comfort in our times of afflictions? Well, I think there's two ways he can comfort us regarding our afflictions. He can comfort us by removing 
our afflictions from us. Um, in the Old Testament, he could have destroyed that. And sometimes he did. He destroyed the enemy. He destroyed enemy armies and removed the affliction from the people. Obviously, we see that in um, in the Book of Daniel. Twice he did that for his people. He removed the affliction of the fire from the three Hebrew boys in the fire furnace. He removed the affliction of the jaws of the lion from Daniel in the lion's den. And um, the Lord Jesus did that often in the Gospels. We see that, that he healed people, and he raised people from the dead. He removed their affliction, and they were comforted, uh, comforted by it. And he can do that for us today, and he's done that for you, I'm sure. He's solved a difficult problem at work, or he's removed that oppressive depression that you had, or crippling anxiety. Uh, we usually call those uh, miracles that, that happened to us. But friends, as you know and as you've experienced, usually God does not comfort us by removing our affliction. In fact, look at the text, and it will give you the answer. Uh, verse 4, who comforts us, the little uh, preposition there, who comforts us, you can look at the text if you'd like to see it for yourself. He comforts us in our affliction. Um, I think for all of us, we would say, Lord, we'll take option number one, remove me, remove my affliction from me. But most of the time, it seems that God comforts us in our affliction. Uh, turn with me in this book to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 just almost to the end of the book. I won't make you turn a lot of different places, but I want you to see this, this passage as an example of, uh, of how God comforted one of his people in their affliction. And this is that story you've already referred to it, uh, to, to keep Paul humble uh, through the messenger of Satan, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And we have no idea what that is, but it was a thorn. And... And the Apostle Paul wanted option one. In fact, he prayed not just a little bit. He prayed three times, and he, he prayed fervently um, in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And I guess we could stick a, a parenthesis in there. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that this would leave me, and we could insert... And three times the Lord said no. So, uh, how did God comfort Paul in his affliction? Well, I think he did it in two ways. One, he spoke to him. Now, Paul may have had an audible voice. We don't have that. We have uh, the word of God. But he spoke to him. He used his word to comfort Paul. And I think he did it in two ways. One, he used his word to reveal to Paul uh, an attribute, a divine attribute that would be a comfort for him in his time of affliction. Notice what he says. Um, he said to Paul, well, in verse, uh, in verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. So, Paul, so, so the Lord comforted Paul by saying, I'm going to manifest my grace to you to sustain you through this and in this uh, this time of affliction. 
My grace is sufficient for you in this affliction. And then another thing that he did, by his word, he showed Paul what was the purpose uh, of his affliction. The Lord told him the purpose of this thorn was so that his power would be manifest perfectly in Paul's weakness uh, caused by the thorn. In other words, notice this example. God did not comfort Paul by removing him from the affliction. He comforted Paul in his affliction. Um, and really, uh, when you think about it, he changed Paul's way of thinking about his affliction. He didn't change his circumstances at all. He just changed Paul's way of thinking about that. He, re he renewed his mind uh, by his word. And that was good enough for Paul. You can see how he, what he says there. Uh, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God changed his way of thinking about his affliction, and he not only accepted it, he gloried in it because he saw God's purpose in it. So in, <clears throat> in our afflictions, God comforts us with his word by manifesting something about himself and, uh, and giving us insight on the purpose of the affliction. Charles Hodge says, the chief way God comforts us in our affliction is by his inward influence on the mind itself, assuaging its tumults and filling it with joy and peace and believing. Now, some of you may be thinking what I thought as I began to see these, these truths. Uh, is that it? All I'm going to learn is something about God and something about the purpose of, of my affliction. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I like option one. I want to go with the option that removes my affliction. Well, hang on. When, when, we are, when, when our redeemed mind is thinking according to the Scripture, now, there's two things we long for as God's people. One, we want to grow in our experiential knowledge of our God. We want to know Him. We want to experience Him and His attributes. And then, two, we want to know that He's not abandoned us, but that He is at work in us, completing that work that He begun, uh, conforming us to the image of His Son. And He does both of these in our afflictions. And you could, many of you could stand in this room and give testimony to that. I didn't appreciate my affliction, but I knew through that affliction I, I came to know God in ways I never would have before, and I saw his work in my life to conform me to the image of Christ. Well, I'm sure there are a multitude of ways the Lord has used his word to, um, uh, to, uh, to comfort you. And I don't want to give a list. I might just give a couple of a couple of things that I've seen, and it's just as an example, because you could list, list many more. W one of the uh, attributes of God that, that we can experience in our afflictions um, is what Jesus said in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is that word tribulation. It's our word affliction. It could, it could, be, it could be transferred uh, in the, uh, by the word affliction. But here is an attribute of God. It's his sovereignty over the world. 
And I think that's a, you know, a blessed knowledge to know when you're going through an affliction. Uh, if it's a really deep affliction, your world may seem like it's spinning out of control. Uh, but it's not. Every molecule in the universe is under Christ's sovereignty, including every detail of your affliction. And oftentimes, in our afflictions, we must disbelieve what our senses are saying to us, what our circumstances are saying, what our emotions may scream at us, and find God's comfort in the fact that His sovereign and loving control of our afflictions and their outcome is keeping us safe, and therefore we can have peace. So in our, in our afflictions, he can comfort us with his peace by declaring his sovereignty over our afflictions. Then a couple more, and I don't want to take time to turn to the passage, but in Hebrews 12, there's a couple of, of uh, truths there that, that uh, the writer of Hebrews reveals of his purpose for our afflictions. Um, I'll, I'll read it to you, and you can, you, can, you can turn there if you want to, but uh, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, beginning in verse 4, uh, the writer says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Uh, what a, a blessing of God's word that one of the purposes of, of him bringing afflictions on us is that it is evidence that we are his children. It provides assurance of our salvation. And you may say, well, God allows afflictions on unbelievers, and they don't, they're not assured of, of being sons and daughters of God. What's the difference? How do I know that my afflictions can assure me of, uh, of my sonship or my daughtership, of, of assurance of salvation? Well, I think it's the direction the affliction sends you. Does it send you away from God in, in uh, bitterness and rebellion? Or do your afflictions draw you to God as a father for comfort. Uh, Psalm 119.67, the writer says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I have, what he means by that is, I have returned to you. So God's word shows us that in times of affliction, these can be evidences of our, uh, of our salvation. And then, and provide assurance of salvation. Then another one, I won't, won't even read it, but if you keep reading that passage, well, I, I will read it to you. Uh, besides this, this is back in Hebrews 12, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So another word of God that can come to us in our times of affliction is its purpose, and its purpose is so that we may share His holiness. So this isn't an exhaustive list, uh, but I just wanted to give you an example of the kinds of truths that God's Word can give us in times of affliction. Um, so before we go to our final point, 
I, I want to be sure that we understand that God provides comfort for us through his word, but it is not an impersonal comfort. It's not a distant comfort. I've seen this uh, with my little uh, fellow Sawyer. Sawyer. Sawyer's in the nursery, I, I guess. Um, sometimes he'll be at our house. You know, I'm quite fond of Sawyer. Uh, sometimes he'll be at our house and we'll be playing out in the driveway and running and playing. And he will fall and, and uh, scratch his knee a little bit. And I'll go to comfort him, but he looks at me and he says, I want Mama or I want Grammy. Either one of them can do this. I, I'm not able to, but he, she, they can do it. So I gather him up. He's three years old. I gather him up and find, in this case, I'll say his, his mother, uh, Megan. And um, so I set him on her lap. And um, Megan comforts Sawyer with her words. She said, oh, my poor little fellow, look at that big bobo on your knee or, you know, whatever he would say. Let's put a Band-Aid on it and, and it'll make it all better. But she not only comforts him with her words, she comforts him with her presence. Um, it's like she wraps her words around him with her caring embrace. So... I think that's a good picture, um, that God comforts us with his word, but also with his presence. I, one of my most favorite stories in the New Testament is uh, the story in Luke 24 of the uh, two disciples, not, the, not of the 12, but two of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Remember, they were walking down the road uh, to Emmaus after the resurrection, and they were troubled. They... Uh, their Lord had been crucified. They had heard some, some idea that maybe he had been resurrected, but they were still confused. I would say that they were distressed and troubled and concerned. And then Jesus appeared to them and walked along with them. He was present with them as he walked along with them. And then remember, what did he do? He opened the word, the Old Testament to them, and he interpreted to them all that Moses and the prophets and the Psalms had said about him. And, uh, and then remember, they went to the house, and, and uh, in the breaking of bread, he disappeared. And remember what they said to each other. They spoke to each other, and they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? So notice, the Lord Jesus comforted them with his word, and it was with his presence that he brought his word to them. Well, I don't want us to get overly mystical about this, but I just want to, to, to recognize that we cannot separate the comforting word of God from the person of the God who comforts us with his word. If he brings his word to, to you and it comforts you, be aware that, it's, that the way he does that is with his, uh, with his presence. I like what uh, uh, you know what Jesus said in John 15 about the vine and the branches? He said, my father will prune away the dead wood on a branch so it'll, it'll bear more fruit. And I heard a gardener say one time, um, the gardener is never closer to the branch than when he is pruning it. The point is our afflictions are occasions when we can have blessed experiences of the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, so that's our first two points. And our third point is that God often delivers his comfort through his people. Let's look at, uh, let's just read verses 3 and 4 again. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I'm sorry, uh, sec- oops, I'm in the wrong book. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, we'll just read both verses again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So really we see another result of our afflictions, that he uses our afflictions to comfort us so that so that we might bring comfort, bring his comfort to others. And I think in the big picture, what Paul is, is, is uh, seeing here is that through our afflictions, he equips the body of Christ to comfort one another. The Lord can comfort us uh, directly, and he does that sometimes uh, without any kind of instrumentality, without using an instrument in his hand, But I think the New Testament teaches us that he has a great delight in in the customary way he provides comfort is through his body, through his people. I want to call on uh, my friend John Bunyan uh, to bring out a a, a vignette that he wrote in in this book. By the way, I think we're supposed to recommend books. Here's my first book recommendation, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I think uh, until maybe the last generation, you may know it was the second best-selling book in the history of the English language after the King James Bible. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but you should read it. Spurgeon said he read it a hundred times. I'm, a, I'm about 97 times behind him on that, but I'd recommend uh, Pilgrim's, <coughs> Pilgrim's Progress. Wrote, oops. Bunyan wrote, uh, we still own here, guys? Okay. Bunyan, excuse me. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress in prison. He was in the Bedford prison. By the way, I've been to Bedford, England, and I saw a statue of John Bunyan in the, in the city hall. I doubt many, many people in, live in Bedford know that, know who he was, but it was a pleasure for me to see his statue there. So he wrote this story, um, two of them actually, one about Christian and then one about Christian's wife and his family. He wrote this story of a believer leaving the city of destruction and traveling to the celestial city or, or to heaven. And he was a pastor while he was in prison. He was the pastor of the, the local church at Bedford. And so he, one understanding is he wrote this book as a... As a um, an instrument of pastoral care for his, uh, for his parishioners. So he's got pastoral care um, understanding and advice all the way through it. So one of the many troubles that Christian encounters on his journey, uh, that is his Christian experience, was his passage through what Bunyan calls the valley of the shadow of death. And you can... When you hear that, you, you go to Psalm 23, don't you? That's where, that, where Bunyan got that. 
Um, he had to go through, uh, Bunyan said he had to go through the valley of the shadow of death. There was no other way to the, uh, to the celestial city. And as, as a Christian began to walk through the shadow, it was such a terrifying time. He thought, maybe I'll go back. I, I want to go back. But then he thought, no, I know what I've already been through. I don't want to do that again. And, and he knew this was the only way, the only pathway he get, went to, the, to get to the celestial city. The passage was dark. It was exceedingly narrow. There was a deep ditch on one side and a bog on the other side. Um, it was full of hideous noises, voices, and screeches from gruesome fiends lurking near the path with flames reaching toward him from all around and blasphemous voices from behind him. And he couldn't tell if they were from outside or if they were his own, his own mind uh, tempting him and speaking to him. So he was really troubled. In fact, he had just had a battle with Apollyon, the devil, and he, and he said, this is worse than my battle uh, with Apollyon. But at the height of his discouragement and fear and confusion and aloneness, he hears the voice of someone who was ahead of him on the pathway. And the voice was saying, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. And then Bunyan writes this. He says, Then Christian was glad, and that for three reasons. So I want to give you the three reasons why. And he didn't even know who this was. He just heard a voice ahead of him. And uh, it turns out it was Faithful, a man named Faithful. And that became his companion for a while on the trip. Well, here's the three points that Bunyan makes, and they fit our, our point well today, because I think they're from the Scriptures. One, um, it was comforting to Christian to know that he was not alone in the valley of the shadow of death. And it's comforting to us in our afflictions when we know we're not alone, but that a, a brother or sister can walk along with us. Uh, and when we're going through times of deep affliction, sometimes we can assume that what we're going through is unique to us. That no one, maybe in all of history, has experienced the kind of trouble or trial or affliction that we have experienced. But that's not true. Think of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation or trial, or we could say affliction, has overtaken you that is not common to man. So one of the encouragements of, uh, of Christian in that deep darkness, was that someone else was there with him. It's a great comfort to us to know that others are in the valley with us. Number two, it was comforting to Christian to conclude that if God was with that person, then maybe God would be with him also. Now, I think he didn't feel God's presence. He wasn't aware of God's presence. But that was the reasoning that he, uh, that he had by hearing the voice of victory ahead of him, Christ began to hope that he was not beyond God's comfort in the valley. Well, if you've been through deep, dark times and you wonder where is God and where is his comfort, when a brother or sister comes along beside you with that comfort, it is a great encouragement to you to hear their testimony of how God has comforted them. That's happened to me before that that I thought, well, I don't have that comfort yet, but if God's comforted them, then maybe that means he can comfort me. 
We may not yet have that comfort, but like Christian, we have a glimmer of hope that if God comforted them, then maybe he will comfort us. And then third, um, it was comforting to Christian that perhaps he could catch up with that person, whoever it was, and then they could walk along together. So he saw the hope of fellowship um, by just knowing that somebody else was with him. And so he did. He caught up with Faithful, and as they walked along, they shared about their experiences. And what I see there is that, uh, that when you're going through deep, dark affliction, uh, you can forget the promises of God. They just don't come to you. Your mind has gone, has gone blank. You read the Bible, and you try to pray, and nothing seems to, nothing seems to work. And so we need others to come along beside us to remind us of what God has said, the things we've already seen. God is sovereign. God is merciful. God has a purpose for your afflictions so that he can comfort us with that. So three things, uh, three purposes how God can comfort us with one another. One is it assures us uh, that we're not alone in our affliction. And it's comforting to know that if God has comforted them, then maybe he can comfort me too. And then three, they can remind us of God's comfort. Uh, this happened to me uh, when I was in seminary. I was, uh, this would be 1978 or a long, a long time ago. And I was in seminary and actually worked at the seminary as the bookkeeper. But I had huge questions and doubts about my salvation. And I was so ashamed of that. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do, but, but I was determined to try to get some help. So I had a professor there named Dr. Reginald Barnard, and he was a real old guy. I was 28 or something. I, he was ancient. I guess he was 65 or, you know, some really old age. And I, went, I remember going to Dr. Barnard's office. He was from England. He had taught in Spurgeon's College and wanted to retire, but said the Lord spoke to him and said, go to go to the U.S. And, and teach in a seminary. So by God's providence, our path crossed. And so I knocked on his, doors and, on his door, and I said, Dr. Barnard, could I visit with you for a few minutes? And uh, he said, sure, young man. He called me Danny. Everybody did back then. Uh, my wife does now, but she's the only one that does that. But uh, so I went in and sat down, and he said, What's the, what, what, how are you troubled, young man? And I said, Dr. Barnard, uh, uh, I have enormous doubts about whether I'm saved or not. I don't even, I, I, I just really questioning my salvation. And uh, in his kind uh, fatherly or grandfatherly way, he looked at me and he said, well, let me tell you what I do when I doubt my salvation. And folks, uh, uh, comfort flooded my soul. And you know what? I don't even remember what he told me that he did. <laughs> but I felt like a Christian in the valley of the shadow of death. There was someone ahead of me on the pathway, and he was going, or had, and he, you know, he admitted, I don't have, he said, I don't have doubts like I did as a young man, but then he told me some of the things he did, and again, I don't remember what it was. But it was so comforting to me that here was an older brother that admitted that he had had the same struggle, so I wasn't alone and that God had given him comfort. And I'm sure he shared uh, some of the Word of God with me. And you know that 40 years later, that experience still comforts me. Well, uh, 
Now I want to speak to two groups in this room. One is you that are going through affliction. Light or deep, it doesn't matter. I want to speak to you. And then I want to speak to to those who are seeking to bring comfort to others that are going through affliction or uh, that aspire to do that, to, to care for others. So you who are currently in the midst of one or more afflictions, I think when we go through afflictions, we're vulnerable in, uh, in two ways. One, uh, we're vulnerable to isolation. When we're experiencing pressing afflictions, we can tend to isolate ourselves from others, either by staying physically apart, maybe not coming to church or to the home group or whatever it may be, or uh, we can just stay apart from others by not exposing our adversity or our affliction to others. Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe um, because of pride, we don't want others to know about a problem that we may uh, that we can't solve by ourselves. But in light of our lesson today, if we isolate ourselves during times of affliction, we are very likely excluding ourselves from the sort from the from the channel of comfort that God wants to bring to you. I think about what Paul said in Ephesians three, and I can't. I haven't looked it up, but he, he says, when all the parts of the body of Christ are working together as they should, then the body matures and grows up in maturity into the head. So uh, for you that are going through times of affliction, I exhort you, I urge you to abandon your isolation and take a risk by reaching out to a brother or a sister. The other, so isolation is one of our temptations in affliction. The other one is passivity. Another temptation we can succumb to in extreme adversity is passivity. Somehow we have this erroneous idea that because of the pain and the distress or the, or the illness or the depression, whatever it may be, that in our affliction God gives us a pass on being faithful and responsible. Folks, that's wrong thinking. Um, here's a quote from Jerry Bridges. Y'all know Jerry Bridges? If you know Nick Lamb, you know Jerry Bridges. He's given about half of the church this little book. This is my second, uh, my second uh, book recommendation, 31 Days Toward Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. And that's what it is. It's a 31-day devotional. And I don't know what you think about this, but uh, the quote I'm going to read to you is the quote on day 26. It's today's quote. I picked it out a long time ago. I didn't know where it was, but I found it yesterday. Here's what Bridges says. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It's a vigorous act of the soul by which we cling to the promises of God despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. So here it is again. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we cling to the promises of God despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. So, friend, in your weakness in times of adversity, with your weak hand, grasp his strong hand. And maybe the way you begin to do that is to grasp the hand of another brother or sister uh, that can walk with you through that, uh, through that time. Um, now, to you who want to be a comfort to others, or maybe you're trying to do that. Now I have three, three thoughts for you. Excuse me. (laughs) 
Remember, comforting friend, that the comfort that you will provide for them is the comfort that God has provided for you. The point is, we want to encourage our, our afflicted friends to find their dependence on the Lord and not on us. Now, maybe for a while they need to depend on those that are comforting. But this means that we must seek to show them God's comfort in his word. It's his comfort. And we may comfort them in some peripheral way, but it's his comfort that we want them to find. Number two, uh, consider that as you come alongside a brother or sister, there may be a dimension of exhortation in your comfort. And that's part of that, that word, the, the word comfort. It can mean to comfort or it can mean encourage or exhort. And as, as you uh, tell them about the comfort that you've received from the Lord, don't stop there, but gently urge them and exhort them to grasp God's promise for themselves. And then number three, recognize that it will cost you something to be an instrument of God's comfort and ministry to others. Um, and I'll just refer to you to, to chapter four because Paul says not only will it cost you something, it will kill you. Now, it doesn't mean you physically will die, but it means that there is a, there is a dimension of death when we serve other people. And Paul says, it, I mean, it's really mystical. I can't go into it because I don't understand it all. But he says that, that the death of Christ, as we identify with Christ and die in our service to others, that the death of Christ works in us so his life may be manifested in those that we're seeking to minister to. So you can search that out yourself. But it will cost you something to bring life and comfort to others. Well, <clears throat> one concluding Observation. I would put forward to you that God's greatest comfort to us in times of affliction is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are saying, I knew it. This, these cornerstone guys, they always end with the gospel. I could write the conclusion of all their sermons. Don't you have something new or fresh, current to say? And I would say, no. The gospel, the gospel is our final word because it is God's final word. So here's two reasons, and I'll do these quickly. Here's two reasons why I believe the gospel can be a great comfort to you. One, the gospel addresses the mystery of God's purpose in our suffering. You know the name uh, Johnny Erickson Tata? Let's see, 55 years ago, as a 17-year-old girl, she was diving into Chesapeake Bay or somewhere and misjudged the, you know, the dive and broke her neck and was paralyzed uh, from, the weight, from, the, from her neck down. And she was greatly distressed by how could this happen you know, to me? What's God's purpose in this? And a friend said, I don't know what God's purpose is in that, but when I don't know what God's purpose is or I'm confused about what he's done, then I just go look at the cross and I try to discern what God has done there. So she did that, and to make a long story short, she came up with this observation. Maybe it wasn't original with her, but she came up with this observation. God permitted what he hated, that is, the cruelty of his son's crucifixion. God permitted what he hated to accomplish something that he loved, and that was a salvation of a world of sinners. And so it must be also in the affliction he brings to us. Um, there's a beautiful verse in Lamentations. In fact, 
you know, Lamentations is what, what uh, Jeremiah wrote during the, the captivity uh, and right after the, nation, the, the city of Jerusalem had fallen. The, the middle verse in the book of Lamentations is Lamentations 3, uh, 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict with he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And the point that, that God is making to Jeremiah is that it's not out of a joyful a delight of God's heart to afflict his people. In the same way that a father disciplines his children, it's not a delightful thing that he does, but he does for the good of the of the child. And so it wasn't a delightful thing in the sense that he afflicted his son, but he, but he did that for a greater cause. So look at the cross in your time of affliction and find there that sometimes God allows or causes what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And that would be the, that would be the um, conformity of your life to Christ. And then uh, remember in the gospel, we see the compassionate, sympathetic ministry of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just close with this passage. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is a, there is a mysterious and yet profound connection between our afflictions and Christ's afflictions. In our union with Christ, we identify with his sufferings and he identifies with ours. And like none other, he is able, willing, and eager to sympathize with us in our trials and temptations. And thus we know his comfort by his presence in our afflictions. There is a fellowship with him in our sufferings that we do not know when the waters of life are tranquil. So in your afflictions, look to the gospel and look to him in your sufferings and find him precious. So let the gospel comfort you in your afflictions. For you that are among us today that have yet to cast your hope for salvation on Christ alone, I urge you to go to him. With all your sins and troubles, you will find him fully sufficient to save and worthy of your trust and faith and submission to his lordship. Let's pray. Our merciful Father and God of all comfort, we thank you for comforting us in our afflictions. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who sympathizes with us in all of our afflictions. And I pray that today, particularly for those among us that are in deep distress, that you would comfort them uh, through Christ and through one another. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.